I will always ask questions that I already know the answers to. I will ask questions specifically where I think that it's going to bring into the pain. We're going to talk about their real issues. We're going to talk about what the product solves. I think understanding great questions is going to help you get those fruitful C-Whips. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Stinky Capros, live and direct from Austin, Texas, Chris. Hey, yes. Coming at us live. I'm right here. Hold on. I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Chris Mark. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. I'm excited to have have a conversation and see what goes down here. I could be totally wrong. I don't think I asked a lot. No, be is Dickie the first PPM SDE on the podcast? You might be. I think we think we may have our first. I'm honored. I'm honored. Big yeah. shoes to fill. <laughs> yeah. Well, legendary status, Dickie. Been doing it. Excellent job for us. Our version of an extreme SDR. There you go. There you go. We'll get That's a good that. way to put it. <laughs> I want to talk about the car broke down of yours, but we'll get, we'll get to that a little bit later. But for now, for the folks listening, let's have them get to know you a little bit better, Dizzy. So, what, and Chris and myself, I'm just the audience. Can you share with everybody kind of your story, where you're from, where you grew up? So, a little bit about that. Growing up, we'll kind of mosey along. Yeah, 100%. So, I was actually born in Long Beach, California, moved when I was like two to Dubuque, Iowa, small town in the middle of a cornfield, spent most of my time there, played hockey when I was a kid till about high school, played, wrestled a little bit, did my fair share of competitive sports. Some would say I'm a little too competitive, but I'm in sales, so it's a different breed here. Other than that, what was your personality like? As a kid growing up, you're playing sports. I mean, were you the, were you the guy full of energy and, and life as you are now? Or just tell us a little about you as, as a young person. Young. Yeah, I, I would say I was a sort of a class clown. <laughs> love to talk, love to seal the show in those aspects. But yeah, I was always, I always love talking to people. And I think that's kind of what I've developed in the sense of where I thought my true value was in my professional aspect of life, because I just love building connections. I always like meeting strangers, better understanding their stories. Even as a kid, I didn't really know what I was doing, but <laughs> looking back at it as a child, I just wanted to hear what people had to say. And I wanted to build true relationships. And I thought that was a huge thing that I've always developed. But some people were like, why are you always talking? I was like, I want to know what people are all about. I want to go out there and understand everybody's journey. And that's why I found myself in sales. And I think as a kid, I was super competitive. Like if I lost a game, it, I would, <laughs> I was like, my day's ruined. My dad's like, it, it's just game. I'm like, no, do whatever it takes to win. And I thought, I thought that was a huge aspect in sports. And that's why I love to do it. I love to get on the field and do my best and try to be better than the opponent in every aspect of life. So where do you think that competitiveness came from? Was it just innate? Did you, you know, or siblings or what friends is it all sports or what well, i was i was the youngest brother and my sisters always try to make sure that i put my best foot forward and i think they expected a lot out of me and i think my main thing was just really trying to find my true value and i thought value was really like winning like winning was my true value that proved like if 
sports was a test. If I won, I passed the test. I wasn't I wasn't the greatest test taker in the sense of academics, but in sports, if that was an opportunity for me to prove myself, winning and performing and putting up stats was my main focus. And I think that's where competitive was just natural to me because that's what I truly valued is really being competitive and dominating my opponent. And I just loved it. I truly love competition. That's great. No, that's good. I mean, that comes out, I think, in your profession too, which is good. We'll get to that. I'll think a side alley here, Chris, is on a top trip. Nerdy Tops is like our prejudice club trip for people who are listening. Dickie and Jackson Hawkins went to play golf and they had a, they got another ridiculously competitive person, Jackson. And these guys, the golf trip was it's legendary. Like they had to stop playing. You guys even finished the round? I finished the round. Jackson didn't finish the round. Jackson didn't finish the round. You <laughs> got like going after each other. So I like hearing those sorts of stories, right? The golf match that was, was important to you both. Well, one, yeah. we have to tell a story. Tell a story, Dickie. Well, there's two sides of every story. So, <laughs> so well, I always love to tell mine, Mark. So, me and Jackson decided to golf during our top strip. We decided to bet some money. It went well for the first, let's say, six or seven holes. But then Jackson wanted to play it like it was the PGA. Out of bounds is two strokes. Every aspect of it. So, we all, all four of us tee off. And I hit a ball maybe 30 yards. Everybody else hits the ball out of bounds. And then he's like, well, let's just all tee off. And I was like, no, I'm not taking a drop. I'll just hit my ball. And <laughs> at that point, me and Jackson are yelling at each other on the tee box. And <laughs> he's like, I just cannot stand you. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm not taking two strokes. We're playing for cash. This is what it is. I'll hit the ball 30 yards. And it ended up just being a real heated conversation. But I think that's why me and Jackson, like, we fight like brothers. Like, <laughs> even though it was probably something that really didn't matter, both of us are right, even if one of us is wrong. And I think that's the real aspect that I really gained from Jackson is that we stand to what we believe in, <laughs> even if that means one of us leaving the golf course. So I think that was a, a really fun time because top strips, even though we didn't see eye to eye at the golf course, we had a great time in every other aspect of the trips. That's great. Of course, you guys did. So when you're going back to your youth, what did you think you wanted to do when you grow up and you grew up? That's a good question, Mark. I think I wanted, I wanted to build something like specific, like I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't, I like, I want to be an idea guy, but I feel like I'm more just like pinpoint accuracy. Like I can be the face of a franchise, but I wanted to build an organization at some point in my life. I want to build a real estate portfolio, but I don't think I really had like you know, like I want to be an astronaut or anything of that nature. I just wanted to be myself and I wanted to build a picture of myself that I thought was able to, people were able to look up to. Like I never had like that, like, oh, I want to be an NHL player. I think I was a realist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm five, seven, maybe five, eight if people are asking. <laughs> right. So I think my true aspiration was just building something for myself, like having financial freedom. And I think like when I've came like in my high school, I always thought I wanted to build a real estate portfolio. I think that's kind of coming to fruition with the opportunities that Memory Blue has given me, like building capital and having able having a little bit of financial freedom. And I think Memory Blue was kind of that first aspect of being able to have that money to build something, something real, something like that I can provide for a family. Cause I, I feel like I always have wanted to be a provider as a kid, but didn't have that like cool sense of like, Oh, astronaut, teacher, doctor. It was just always like 
build something for myself. Like I just wasn't able to grasp it. And I think like the financial freedom aspect is going to come. And I think memory blue is a huge outlet to that. Like I was working pay to paycheck to paycheck for a long time. And I was like, when is it going to change? When is it going to change? And like, now I see all these aspects of who I want to be. I want to just be a better person than what I thought I would be. Let's get to that. Dickie. Your message out there that so I want to hear about, but I want to hear about your journey a little bit, right? So we got people who might be listening to this or thinking about coming to work at Memory Blue that can relate to your side of things, kind of where you are now, how you got here. So let's go back to that. I have one of the un- <laughs> unorthodox journeys that you can think of. So right. I graduated yeah, I high school. school. school from high school. Yeah, start from yeah. High school. I graduated high school, wasn't standout. I, I think the main thing that really held me back in high school is I was I was always looking to do the bare minimum. Like whatever, like Let's just fly by. Let's get the diploma and whatnot. And then I went to community college in Iowa City. And that first year, like, I'm 18 years old, Mark, Chris. I'm like, let's go. Like, when you moved to Iowa City, biggest party college, I'm like, I really bought into the culture. And I really didn't focus on education. And, like, so I went into community college thinking, like, oh, just to go to my classes, whatnot. And then it ended up being just partying, 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 partying. And, like, so I went there for two semesters and then, they're like, hey, we're going to pull your financial aid. We're going to pull all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, snap. Like, real life hits me. And I'm like, this isn't as cool as I thought it was. But, like, I took a month back. I took a step back, grabbed a full-time job, worked night shift in a plastic manufacturing job for 12 hours at night to pay. Because then I was like, I don't have any financial aid. How am I supposed to go to school? So I had to work 12-hour night shifts to go back to school. And then I had to pay as you go to go to school. So, like, I would work 12-hour night shifts go to an econ class at 9 a.m. after I worked six to six. Like I did a lot of savage things, but then what was even kind of crazier about that aspect is I did so much to get back into school. Like I got my AA and I'm like, I don't even want to go to school. Like I did all these things to like go to school. And I was like, I don't even want to go to school. Like I was just so bought into the ideal picture of like, Hey, go get a degree. You get a good job, things of that nature. And then, so I dropped out of school in that aspect, but I did what was so weird is I felt like I grew so much because I worked those 12 hour night shifts to get back to school that I truly knew that that's not what I wanted. Like my freshman year, I like got drunk all the time, never went to school. And then I was like, took it back. I was like, yo, I need to finish this school thing. I need to do this. I need to work these 12 hour shifts. I have to pay for school to get back into it. And then when I got to school, did all these things and was like really taking school seriously, I was like, I, it just didn't make sense to me. And I think it makes sense to a lot of people, but it just didn't make sense to me because I had so many life experiences and what I truly valued wasn't, you know, the foundational educational. Like it wasn't. So then after you, that... What did you trigger that? Was it the work part? The experience I, work or was it... I, I think it was experiencing work and I think it was experiencing like... So like when you go into a 12-hour plastic manufacturing job and you work with those people and like you just understand their mindsets and you understand like what they truly value and just like where everyone has came from. Because like the 12 hour plastic manufacturing is the bottom of the total pool in, in blue collar work. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I was just understanding people and like when I took those classes, I thought that I got a good understanding of like, you know, a county economics, business management. But when I took those classes on an educational stance, I just didn't think that it provided me true value of what I wanted to do with my career. Yeah. So it was just a really eye-opening thing because like I had this 
grasp and this idea of like graduating from a university and doing all these things. But I think just personally, I made a decision that I was going to take a different path. And I think that path is so vital for a lot of people because I think people do need structure and I think people do need like that sense of accomplishment. Like I put my nose to the wheel for four years and it's a milestone. And I think a lot of people have to go through that milestone to develop as a person, to build a professional career and to really have that drive. But I just felt that it was instilled in me to find success, no matter what aspects I take. Like, and that's why it's so unorthodox because after I got out of community college, I worked at my best friend's manufacturing job. I was grinding steel, Mark and Chris. I was grinding steel for eight hours a day. Tell us about that. What does that mean? It's most, I don't know. Yeah. So like, so like a hand power tool with your hand, like a straight power grinder, just grinding burrs off of steel parts for eight hours a day, just mindless work. And I, I worked there for like four months and I was like, okay. I got to figure out what to do. I got to figure out what to do because I, because I had to make such a weird transition. It's like, yeah, I dropped out of school. I got to make money. So I just hopped into this manufacturing, another manufacturing job, working, working, I think it was six to two thirty, just grind and steal. And it was just, it was such a thing. And then it, it's so funny how life works because like I decided that that's definitely not what I want to do. <laughs> and then I got an opportunity at metal place and they said, we need a sales guy. I said, great. I said, I think I could do sales. All right, how did that, so how did that happen? Like, did you? I was just fly? searching. I was just, yeah, I was just searching through. I applied at a couple sales jobs, you know, some insurance, whatever. What year was this? Or how, how long ago was this? I want to say it was 2015. Okay. 2015, 2016. And, and I'm, I'm not really Iowa. sure. At, I'm not really sure at timelines, Mark. I'm just. Yeah, <laughs> you're still, but you're still living in Iowa. Yeah, I'm still living in Iowa. So this, so I go to this place, and they say, "Hey, we're looking for a sales guy." I say, "Great." I say, "What are you looking for sales?" They're like, "We're looking to build relationships with manufacturing places in the area, and we're looking to purchase things." And I said, "Well," and they really gave me no structure, which I thought was almost a crutch. Because not only was it my first sales job, I also had no direction. So it was kind of the first time I ever realized that, like, sales is what I am. Like, so I, they said, hey, here's it. They gave me, like, 10 sheets with, like, manufacturing companies' names on it, writ handwritten, whatnot. And I was smash-dialing gatekeepers. Smash-dialing gatekeepers saying, who do I need to talk to about purchasing steel? And I did that and I like I would smash dial for like two hours. And the next thing you know, I'm getting in meetings and I'm signing contracts for the biggest manufacturing companies in our area. And it was just so crazy to see. Like it was so crazy to see that how natural I was at building relationships, like all the childhood things that I thought people kind of looked down on. Like, oh, you're talking all the time. You want to talk to everybody. Talk, talk, talk. Listen, listen, listen. Like very institutional. Like. I felt like all those aspects of my life had really came into fruition because then I was meeting with VPs of purchasing in their boardroom talking about how we're going to provide service. <laughs> and it was just the craziest thing, signing two-year contracts, like bringing in steel where, where it was a small four-shot. We, I was like, we need more drivers. We need more, we need more product. Like, we're making moves out here. So it was a really cool thing to see, and I think that's where it all clicked. 
And then like I was selling steel for, I think a year or two market went terrible. And I was like, I got to make a transition. Like, cause it's, it's the steel market's like a stock market and it just started crashing with the economy and everything. So I was like, I got to make a move. It was so crazy. Packed up all my stuff. I was like, I need to get into software. I'm moving to Austin, Texas, packed up all my stuff, quit my job, moved to Austin. How'd you know about that though? So I was a guy from Iowa was working slinging steel, slinging, working in the steel, grinding up the burrs, and then slinging it. And then, like, I got the, you know, cyclical nature, I guess, of the steel industry, apparently. Yeah. Alien the software, I moved up Austin. Like, how did, where did that come from? How did your knowledge tech and moving to Austin? Yeah, so my sister lived here, and she said, Dickie, you got to get down here. You got to get down here. I think there's a lot of opportunity here. Like, small town Iowa, like, there is not a lot of opportunity there. And I was very small minded, like all my friends, like, like it was very hard to make that leap out of my hometown because that's where I felt most comfortable. Like I go in any bar, like, Hey, Dickie, I go anywhere. You see everybody. My mom's there. There was a lot of things holding me back to chase my dreams. And I think like after that opportunity kind of fizzled out and I didn't really see like a long-term play, I was like, I got to make a different move. My sister said software's really huge on here she's also in the car business she's like Dickie, you'd be one hell of a car salesman i'm like oh the hours are terrible i can't do it <laughs> yeah there you go okay so i quit my job moved down to austin with no job and about six thousand dollars went on linkedin when and then kimmy reached out to me and it, i read about memory blue and i was like this couldn't make more sense this is a launch pad to my tech career and it, it was like, and then Kimmy called me and I started working. I think I was job searching for like six weeks down here. I moved into a house site unseen, saw some pictures, signed a lease. And I was like, I'm coming. <laughs> Good for you. So Dickie, when you were selling steel, I'm very curious about this. You're selling essentially a commodity, right? How would you differ? Why should someone buy steel from you and the company you were working for versus a different company other than you can sell it for less. Like, how are you that, differentiating? Of course, a hundred percent differentiating. So, what's super crazy about that is I wasn't even selling like new steel. I was purchasing steel and purchasing scrap steel and selling it to mills. So, not only did we have a four-person company, our only competitor was essentially a monopoly. So, <laughs> it was called Alter Recycling. They're the largest metal recycling company in the world. And what I would do, the only different, like we couldn't even give them better pricing. The only thing we could do is I say, Hey, you're working with me, not them. <laughs> like my differentiation was service. Like you give me a call at any point in time. If something's not happening, I'm going to make it happen for you. Like these big corporations, these things, they don't provide this human touch. This is a family owned business. What we do is we're going to give you a transfer. Like we can't compete pricing wise. There's no way we just don't have the value. And we don't have those relationships. Like, what I can do is make sure that if you have any questions that need to be answered, I'm going to answer them and I'm going to be, I'm going to be there. I'm going to provide that service. Service was the biggest aspect. The only, we had no value in any other aspect besides me being there for them and providing that customer service. And I think that was the reason I was so successful is because I wasn't trying to pitch anything else. Like there was like, I wasn't going to pitch you. We got better numbers. I wasn't going to pitch anything that didn't act. I was going to say, Hey, we're going to be there at any call, anything, any aspect. We are going to provide you customer service that the other organization does not. Excellent. That's good insight. So you're finding your true value. Finding your true value. In any product. There you go. There you go, Dickie. Spoken like a, uh, a vet. 
So you're at Memory Blue. You went to the interview process. What can you tell us about that? What do you remember? And how long ago was that? That was what? what? Almost two years ago. Two years ago, yep. Yeah. The interview process, Kimmy is a saint. Like, when I talked to Kimmy, I was like, this is the nicest person ever. <laughs> and, like, I went through the interview process. I think I met with Tyler Cassett, Cliff, Jace. Yeah, Cliff, Jace, and then Jackson was my phone call <laughs> and i think i asked jackson to take a meeting for me like six or seven times he kept saying no and i was like because i was asking closed-ended questions i was just <laughs> doing a bunch of stuff and he's like hey i love the tenacity but i said no and i was like oh well <laughs> that was a really cool thing i thought the process went really smoothly i thought they saw i thought they like even though my application was a little like unorthodox like hey doesn't have a four-year degree like i think the main thing that i was looking for and i think the main thing that memory blue gave me was an opportunity to prove myself like no matter where you come from you guys provided me the foundational aspects to be a successful person in tech and i think that did wonders for my career direct trajectory i really do yeah it's amazing like to this day it blows my mind that someone like you is looking for a job was it finding something that, that, you know, worked for you and worked for the employer because you're, you're really good at what you do and your background is a little odd for this one, but that's just not something that attracts us to you. And I'm, we're fortunate you know, working here. I'm very fortunate. So, you know, I appreciate your gratitude to the company as well and took advantage of the opportunity, which is really inspiring to me personally. So you started you know, at the firm. Who was, whose team? You were on Jackson's team for the word go? No, I was on Cliff's team and I was selling... Uh, email communications called front <laughs> it was a very interesting product but i think that was a cool thing is that like not only when you come into memory blue do you get thrown right into software sales but you also get an understanding like you're talking about different softwares with everyone within the office like you're talking about software that you didn't even know like I didn't really know anything about cybersecurity. And if there's one thing I know coming out of this place, it's cybersecurity. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What was it like the first day? Did you think When I first walked in, I was like, cool, new place. And I'm new here. So that's the main reason I, w I wanted to work in office is because I was like, I moved to Austin. I don't know anyone. <laughs> like, And I found some of my best friends in, in the office. So when I first came in there, I thought that the energy was good. I thought that everybody who like, everybody was like, hey, like, came to me and I'm like, yeah, like I love talking. So I mean, I don't get, I don't get nervous or anything like that, but I thought they welcomed me with open arms. And that was a really cool thing. And I think culture is a real pivotal part of why I love memory blue. Just like every aspect of it. I think everybody's out there to be better. And I think not only do they want to help me, but I want to help them in the aspect for them to be the best that they can be. And I think that I think competition is the healthiest thing in the world, because if somebody's not trying to beat you, why do you need to do better? So I think that was the huge thing when I first walked in is that there was a little bit of competition because I think right when I went in there, I that's what was really humbling is that once I went in there, I was like, sales? I was doing sales. And then I got a cold call. I'm like, oh, geez, <laughs> this is a little bit different animal. Hey, Dickie, so you said uh, competition is critical. When you went to your first few days there, who did you fear the most? Who had the best game on the on the floor in Austin? Who did I fear the most, Chris? I'm trying to think here. The one thing that really came up to me is like with the DHR thing. Like I don't think anybody in Austin I feared. 
because <laughs> like not that sense it's just my personality like i don't fear anyone like if you think you're gonna go ahead had to have me in sales this is what i do this is my art this is what i love like and i truly believe that in every bone in my body for you who is coming for you Who's not coming for me, Chris? Who's not coming for me? There's a lot of people who want coming for you. <laughs> not Dang. I'm coming for him. No, I'm just kidding. No, that was a huge thing. When I seen the DHR, I seen Dang at the top of it. I like That was my thing. When I came in, I saw Dang was at the top. I was like, what am I going to do to be Dang? What am I going to do to be Dang? And then that's why I moved to the PPM team, because I wanted to have the opportunity to compete with Dang. I want to compete with the best. I, that was my main focus is be on an even playing field and compete with the best. And Dang has become one of my greatest friends. Like, I think he loves this as much as I do. We share that. We share that same that same thing is that we love to do this. Go, we'll come back to that. We're going to get there. Yeah. What was the learning process like? So you're going from... You know, you had figured out how to do the steel sales for that particular role and those personas. And you said something about you asked a bunch of open, closed-ended questions. So apparently, you know, we all learn new things. What did you learn? What did you have to learn or relearn coming into the SDR role doing tech stuff? That it's a lot easier to say no to me over a phone. Mm. Like when I'm in a business room, in a meeting room, and we're talking, they don't they can't just walk out <laughs> you know they didn't have that opportunity and i think that was a huge thing is that like my sales process was very like shake hands eye contact you know read the room and things of that nature and i think on a cold call the thing like i don't think i hit quota for the first two months just because i was just trying to figure it out and i think management had a huge thing to do this is that i had that sales voice like it was very like, Hey, this dick. <laughs> and I had those things. And I, and I think once I like, after those two months, I think I truly started listening, like listening to the prospect, listening to their tone and things of that nature. And once I truly tried to perceive that I was trying to provide value in a business. And I think I came from a genuine aspect is that they could feel it on the phone, that I was genuine, that, I was trying to provide value within their business. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm trying to provide you a tool that's actually going to provide value on whatever aspect. If it's a sales, provide more revenue. If it's security, make sure your data is secured. Like, I'm not selling you smoke and mirrors here, guys. Like, I think that's what everybody gets from cold calling is like, hey, bad juju, like, da 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 da. Like, I'm calling you and helping you do your research because if you're not informed in those aspects of your business, that's not on me. That's on you. Like, I truly believe that. Like, when I give a VP of cybersecurity a call, I'm trying to let him know about a product that might be able to help. And if he doesn't want to listen, I'm not here to push the envelope. I'm here to provide value. If you don't want to have, if you want to take the opportunity to listen about a product that actually might be able to help you, actually might save your business, then I'm not going to throw you in a 2006 Hyundai Accord. Like, I'm not. Hyundai Accord, I'm not. Like, I'm going to provide you something that truly provides value. I'm not trying to use car sales you. I'm trying to listen to you, be helpful, and actually be a resource within your business. And I think there's a real, like, weird concept of cold calling. is like, hey, these guys are trying to bother me in these trying to Like, no, that's not it. Like, I did my research to make sure that I gave you a call and let you know that you were the right person that was going to see value in a product because software is going to help save your business. And if, if you can automate things and all of that nature, if you can be more efficient, that's going to help the bottom line. And I truly believe that. 
So I think that people are like, oh, Coco, you're trying to sell me something. Sell something. Well, yeah, something that's going to help out your business is going to cost money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I want to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, sure. You're here the first two months, you hit quota. And if I'm going to replay what I think I heard. Yeah. You heard to learn how to listen more? Is that what you're saying? I feel like when I was on first, I bullied a lot of prospects. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I was like, this is what I have to say. This is what I have to say. Why can't you do that? Because it comes off very used car salesman. It really does. Like, mm-hmm. if you actually aren't authentic, and that's the one thing that was a huge thing that really pushed me over the top to really understand the art, is that if you're not being true to yourself on a phone call and you're not being a genuine person, like, people can tell. Mm-hmm. That's why my approach is very unorthodox, but you're getting dick on the phone. Like, you're not getting anybody else. You're getting me. <laughs> Yeah. No matter no matter what product I sell, I'm going to be myself, whether that's building or poor. And they can tell that I truly care about not only if I ask them a personal question, if I ask about their business, because you have to be a trusted advisor. Like if they're going to talk to me about cybersecurity and they think that I'm some sleazeball, that's not going to work. It's just no. really not going to work. If you're competitive, driven, and curious, it's time to consider a professional sales opportunity that your future self will thank you for. With an unmatched training program and a tradition of elevating our people, Memory Blue has helped hundreds of successful professionals launch lucrative tech sales careers. You will grow highly marketable skills through ongoing mentorship from seasoned sales leaders while showcasing your abilities for tech industry royalty and some of the hottest startups around. And you'll do it all surrounded by driven, like-minded colleagues immersed in our award-winning company culture. As your tenure progresses, you will attract a host of career options. This includes moving up internally or venturing out into the tech industry, where tech companies pay a premium for Memory Blue experience. We have immediate openings in our offices from coast to coast. Visit memoryblue.com SDR and apply today. They're certainly buying you and you've got an amazing personality and you understand, like, I think you're wide as it comes to sales, but talk a little, more, a little bit more about the technique, the techniques, like the skills, right? Because you just can't be a complete force of personality and have it work. It's not going to work. And you said a little bit about it being genuine and sincere and listening, but what are some of the other things that you've had to develop? Uh, you think people need to develop to be good, even people with amazing personalities, so to speak. I think specifically develop to get good is that you have to be prepared. You have to, I think the really cool thing about my development is hearing all of the AEs on 10 different products, Mm -hmm. like a sponge, like they've done their due diligence on their product. They know what questions to ask. So I take those questions. I listen. I see what questions are most important. I see what questions that they value. So when I do present them with a next conversation, I can already answer those questions. We can skip that. Like, you don't need to ask that. Let's get to the bread and butter and let's talk about next steps. So I think that was the main thing is that I will always ask questions that I already know the answers to because I've been doing this a long time. Like, I will ask questions specifically where I think that it's going to bring into the pain and bring into the pain. We're going to talk about their real issues. We're going to talk about what the product solves. I think understanding great questions is going to help you get those fruitful C-whips, build that rapport, because not only are you asking questions, you're asking questions that they should understand. And they're like, oh, this guy has an understanding of 
what things I'm experiencing within my strategy and things of that nature. But I think the cool thing about Memory Blue that I thought was most pivotal in my development is watching these discovery calls, listening to these AEs, listening to every aspect that they think, finding your true value in the products and putting that on the phone calls. Because like, if you can ask the right questions and you can come and come from a sense of knowledge with these prospects, whether it's director of IT, VP of IT, whether it be cloud, anything, as long as you perceive yourself as an expert in the technology, like I don't want you to get in the weeds. If you get in the weeds, that makes no sense, but you need to ask those qualifying questions and you need to know what questions to ask specifically those titles where it's going to hit true or it's going to hit home. Because once you ask those questions, then they're like, okay, great. And then you can pivot into it, switch to a meeting. And I think understanding good questions is going to change the conversations for you. And let's go back to that. So you learned a lot from listening to your peers, but also listen to the clients, AEs. Yeah, client discovery calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been through a lot of them. And what's your role on those? You kind of just listen and you're just like, just sit and listen. Like right? I'm just, the, guy, the guy who talks a lot, the talker is the guy who just sits and listens. Yeah. I'm just the fly on the wall. And it's so cool to see everybody's techniques because I think another thing that was really aspect is that I tried to mimic a lot of things. Like I tried to mimic people that I thought were good. And I thought that, and, and like, that was where I was not finding success because what works for someone doesn't always work for everyone else. I think that once you find what you do well, whether that be discovery questions rapport building, anything of that nature, once you find out what you truly are good at and you zone in on that, you're going to find your success. Like, I don't think any, like me and Dang on the phones, we're two completely different people, but we both found our successes. And so what would you say that it is that you do well? Rapport building. How how do you do that? There's no secret to the madness, Chris. Like, it's so crazy when I get on the C-Web. Like, I just feel like my understanding of people and like just how I build communications. Like this one guy, this one CWIP I had yesterday, he literally said, I just like the way you talk to me. And I, I just, I, there's no method of the madness, Chris. I honestly think that. No, so, so I'll dispute it, right? Let's dispute it because dispute I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for answers. I'll give you my take. I don't know if it's an answer because the beautiful thing about working in memory blue for as long as I have, and Chris and being in sales is we see all sorts of different personalities, right? Mm-hmm. And all sorts of game, technique, and approaches. And yes, there's it's undeniable that you're a, a transcendent personality, Dickie, right? I don't want to pump you up anymore, but you've got something that most people don't have, most people go for. I have seen plenty of people with similar personalities who they're like a, a flare, right? Like a like a shooting star. They kind of and they kind of because they don't have the grit. Sometimes flame out, they flame out. You, yes, it's how you talk to people and those things. And that's who you are. Your whole life's been talking to people, but you like you, learning how to do this stuff on the phone. People you can't see, who know a lot more about the tech than you ever learned or the space. That's all technique too. And I've heard one of your calls, and your preparation is amazing. And you have a shit ton of credibility with people. Like you learn the space. So I think yes. Your personality is powerful and the rapport is die for. But I that's the is it if it's not backed up by credibility and knowledge, it actually is a deterrent, I think. Yeah. Because then people think you're full of it. So 
the first, I'm not trying to take away what you're saying, but I think you're underplaying. And for people listening who are like, man, I'm never going to have this kind of personality. How am I going to do this job? Right? It's that part of your weaponry, but like the other part is all these other things, which anyone can do, which is the preparation, the fly on the wall, learning to take as much as you can, figuring out what questions to ask. So not everybody does that. And I think that's a huge thing to point out, Mark, is that if you don't put in the work, it's not going to happen. Like, yeah, I do have natural talent and rapport building, but I've made sure to be a sponge. Like, I've made sure to put myself out there and literally just anything that specific to, I think, my career and my success, I take in. And I take, like, I don't take notes physically, but I take mental notes like crazy. Like, anything that I think is going to help me in my career, whether that be better understanding my products, better understanding techniques, better understanding, like, full sales cycle, anything, you just have to make sure that you're listening. And I think that comes to the root of everything is just listen to everything around you. And in memory blue, there's so much knowledge. Like there's so many different avenues of knowledge for you to be successful in the tech space. And I think that's why memory blue has been so successful. And I think it has provided great career paths for a lot of people. Love that. So I agree. Let's talk about your transition. So you're working with memory blue, you're assigning some clients, you're doing the SDAS fixed fee, whatever you want to call it. You figure out your quota. <laughs> yeah. And if you look, anyone looked look that day, excuse me, at Dickie's LinkedIn, you can see the, the clients who work with some pretty cool, interesting clients. When did you make the transition? Like, what, what did you realize what you wanted to do? Like, when did you make the transition? Okay, I want to go join this PPM team. I think, like, I wanted to learn more technologies, but also I wanted to make money. And I think Jackson was the biggest part of me looking at that as an opportunity. He said, Dickie, I think you can make a lot of money there. I think it's a good thing. He said, I'll talk to the right people. Let's get this party started. <laughs> and then by Jackson, right? Because you're touching the top of his team. Will you be explaining to us what this whole thing is? Right? You want to have them do it? If you want to do it. Now, Dickie, do it. Dickie, what? Share with the listeners a little bit about what, like, what do you mean by PPM and PPM team? Because a lot of the listeners, they don't look at memory blue or they're thinking about looking here. And so they're not to understand the kind of inside baseball terminology. But if you could explain a little bit about what you were doing previously and then the team you, you joined and, and why you ultimately decided to make that switch. Yeah. So like on the retain aspect, you work with one client. And you make a fixed salary and things of that nature. And it's a very one-on-one. And that's a really good thing to better understand, like, the foundational aspects. Learning one product. Better understanding how software sales works. Getting real-time feedback from the clients on your successes, on your failures, on things that you should work on to better sell that specific product. And then PPM is more, if you're successful, you can make a lot of money. It's like pay per meeting. So every meeting that you book and occur, that's qualified, a qualified lead, everything. There's a couple different things that matter specifically for that to be a qualified lead that you get paid per meeting. And the salary is a lot different, but it, it definitely is a good thing. So that's the huge thing is that I think the retain side is a great thing on learning products, getting into tech sales and things of that nature. PPM, you learn, I've been on 13 different clients. I've learned every aspect, <laughs> every aspect of software. You really get your feet wet. You better understand so many different products, but also you're able to sell so many different products. Like my style stays the same throughout the products, but also I come prepared, like Mark said, 
kind of harped on is that I come prepared. I know the product that I'm selling. I know the true value. And I'm making sure that I do my due diligence on making sure that I provide my client with the best meetings, but also I provide value. And I think that's a hard thing to mix. But when you understand what you need to do, like those questions, then you're able to provide value. Then you're able to work on 10 different clients and provide top of funnel for all of them. Right. So one, one of them is, has uncapped earning potential. The other one is more capped. Yeah. And the one that's capped has more dedication to your client. Yep. Versus you're kind of like freelancing. You're, you're uncapped and you can go and work on whatever clients you want, get exposed to all these different technologies, AEs, sales cultures, et cetera. Exactly. That's exactly the difference. And I think being exposed to so many different technologies has been the true value of PPM. The money is great, but being exposed to all those different technologies and having the opportunity, like I work for so many great companies on the PPM function that it's, <laughs> it's a cool thing to, cool thing to say you've been a part of. And all that exposure, I would argue, accelerates your professional development because you've been exposed to so many different, not only technologies, but personas, sales cycles, just all of that stuff accelerates your growth. Yeah, 100%. I think that's the main thing is that when you make that transition in PPM, you get thrown in and you either sink or swim. Like you truly, you sink or swim in the aspect of, can you really ramp up on these things? Can you, like, it really pushes your development. Like, can you learn a product in three days? Can you make sure that you're providing top of funnel for 10 different clients? Like, I think it's a true test of how you can perform in a really crazy environment. It's very fast paced. It's very competitive. But when I come out of PPM, I've sold damn near everything under the sun. Like, <laughs> like and I think that was a, that, that's the coolest part about PPM is like you see so many different aspects of the tech space. And I think that when I come out of memory blue is that I will have such a great understanding of the industry as a whole, not only the specific things. Like I think when you take a career path as an SDR at one organization, it's kind of that retained side. It's kind of like, yeah, this is one thing. Do you like it or love it? I've tasted everything. And I think that cybersecurity is my true passion. And I've been able to make that decision due to the variety of clients I've worked with. Like I can make an educated decision on it. You can. You're right. But Dickie, cyber so hard. Well, I don't want a cyber campaign. It's not fair. <laughs> I think I think when people say cyber's hard, it's just a, like I'm just not a man of excuses. I really am not. Like I just think that if you need to do something, you just need to do it. Like it's really that simple. Like it, it's not that simple in the fact that you might have to figure out a couple different things to make sure that you figure out that solution. Like, hey, I'm not getting CWIPs. Are you calling the right people? Are you making sure that the information's right? Are you making sure that you're calling them at the right time of day? Are you making sure that you're doing your due diligence on cadences? I think when people say cyber's hard, it's specifically because you see another guy booking 20 meetings on a on a campaign that's that's a little bit easier. You know, you're not the thing that I appreciate the most about cyber is if I can sell cyber, I can sell anything. <laughs> <laughs> that still jumps on for the art, though. Yeah, it is. What's really good about you, Yuri, would you say you're money motivated? More than anything, Mark. More than anything. What do you mean by that? 
money provides me financial freedom. I, I, it's actually kind of funny that you bring up the money thing is like, I always wanted to be like super materialistic. Like I wanted all the cool things. And then like when I got like when I had the first taste of, you know, a decent amount of money, it just didn't click like I thought it would. Like, you know, like when I had, like, when I never had to question anything I purchased, like it never really all the small things, because I was working paycheck to paycheck. I had eviction notices on my door, like me and money never were, never were the best friends. Like, (laughs) and then when it came to me, I was like, I thought it would click, but I think I'm more freedom motivated. Money provides me freedom. Like everybody's like, oh, you want money, money, money. And I was like, no, I want to be able to have freedom. I want to be able to do what I want. And money provides true freedom. No, we are, this is America. This is capitalism at its finest. If you don't have money, you don't have freedom. And it's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. But I think doing your due diligence and making sure that you provide yourself with the right aspects of revenue, then you can build like, I don't want my kids to worry about college debt. I have college debt. Like, I don't want that stuff for my family. I want to provide for my family and money is the way to do it. Like, I want to make sure that they have the things like not silver spoon fed by any means. They're going to have to work for their stuff. But I want to be able to have that backbone for them and be able to provide them financially so I can provide them opportunities. The main thing that comes with money is opportunity. And opportunity is the true value, I think, of success. There you go. I think I'd like to point out the fact that are you a were you culture club president? Yeah. I was I was culture club president. I took a step back. Now Hannah Cummings is taking over that and doing a beautiful job. So I can appreciate that she has filled the role perfectly. And but I want to point out too, like sometimes people may mistake if someone's money motivated, no matter if it's freedom or not, like they're more selfishly motivated. But you're you know, you work in an word like culture club. You know, you sound like you help people, right? You're not a manager, but I know you like helping people get where they want to go. Can you expound on that a little bit? Because I think some people get it twisted that. He's in sales, all he cares about money, selfish, like wants it all for himself. Yeah, and I think that's usually how money motivated is perceived. But I think that what I would do with money is help a lot of people. And the reason that I wanted to be a cultural president is because I truly believed in what Memory Blue was doing on the aspect of culture. I truly believe that networking with people that you grind in the trenches with every day and have a couple drinks with somebody and really just not only like I think work and the culture has blended so well in memory blue that I wanted to make sure that it was always provided to the people that came in and everybody had an open door that you can have a drink with your, like I built so many lifelong relationships at memory blue due to the culture. Mm -hmm. Like, and I wanted to make sure that when I was providing that I gave all those same opportunities, it really mattered to me because that's the reason I stayed at memory blue was culture. And I wanted to make sure that everybody understood what we do here is such a beautiful thing. And I wanted to make sure that I planned those events and I wanted to make sure everything I wanted, you know, text everyone to make sure to get there, like show up to the culture events. This is a huge thing. Yeah. Yep. And cause that's where I met my, like literally I think 80% of my friends are memory blue alumni. It's kind of cr- like out of Austin. Like it's kind of crazy that like, even though they've left memory blue, they're still a huge part of my life. And I think that was mainly because we gave that open door to build true relationships. It's not like head down, see him at nine, leave at clock out, and then never see him again. I think that was a huge aspect to my development, specifically to the relationships professionally, because not only did these people move to Memory Blue, the Memory Blue alum, now I have networks in a lot of different tech companies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Hey, so to be answer this for me, so on the PPM team, it's clear that you build your skills at a much more faster pace, much faster 
you get exposed to many, many times the number of technologies and sales cultures. And the truth of the matter is on that team, you can make at least twice as much. Given all of those benefits, why do so few people pursue it? I think it's an intimidating thing. I think people don't like to be challenged. I think that a lot of people take the easy way out in life. And I think that a lot of people that don't think the PPM function provides the true value should really look internally and see if they want to be challenged, if they really want to take that next step in their career, if they really want to develop as fast as they're capable of. Not only, I think a lot of people don't think what they're truly capable of. When I was 19, when I was 20, like a lot of memory blue people, I just don't think like I'm a, I'm an old man. Like I'm 29 years old. Like I've been through it. Like I feel like I've learned a lot. And the fact that memory blue, like if I had this same opportunity when I was 21, 22 years old, we'd be in a lot different place. <laughs> well, like, I would be doing wonders. <laughs> like if I was in the tech space, in what 2012 <laughs> and i've been in the industry for 10 years i'd be a monster here but i think that's what people don't realize is that i've been through i've done the shitty jobs i've done all like i really lived life in the aspect of things aren't always greener on the other side like i've had those struggles i've had those life struggles i developed like when you come into memory blue like a lot of people they just like oh yay first job out of college great woo woo like they need to really take things serious they need to really take their career serious because not only what you do in your early 20s will either make or break your life like if you don't take these jobs serious and you don't take your development as a professional serious that's going to affect your trajectory more than you will ever know you need to take things serious you need to take your professional life serious and you need to do the things that matter and you need to like if you don't want to join the ppm function because it's too many clients too many like Hold yourself accountable and really see the true value. Like people are special people and you just need to unlock that extra step. Like you not, you don't need to be scared to do things that feel a little uncomfortable. I've been uncomfortable a lot my whole life and I feel like I've grown a lot. I mean, I don't know what to say. That's beautiful. What else, Dickie? I'm just chit-chatting with you guys. I'm just truly thankful for the opportunity to be on the podcast. I'm truly thankful for a lot of things that you guys have done, what you built, like just your story. It, it come, I, I can just relate a lot to it. Like you guys had an idea, it came to fruition, and you guys have just really built something that you truly believed in. And I couldn't be more thankful on that aspect. Like I think a lot of people don't understand what the true value is, is like, they're giving you something that no other organization does in the tech space. If you think that somebody's going to let you work and then they're going to let you be hired out by another person, like, <laughs> that's not how life works. Like they're like, you guys are essentially the leaping pad for opportunity. And I really do appreciate that. And I'm, I'm excited to see where my career goes, but I'm always thankful that we've crossed paths in life. I think building relationships with people like you is a really good thing for your overall growth. I'd agree, man. My only regret is that I get to work with people like you more closely. You know, I tell Chris all the time. Yeah, I put myself in a bubble. <laughs> good. No, no, it's good. Well, Dickie, we appreciate you taking the opportunity, right? Like, so lots of people have been given the opportunity. Very few people have really seized it, particularly to the degree that you have. I think that's so true, too. And I just think that if I could just tell the people one thing is just seize the opportunities. Like, do not miss opportunities. I've missed so many opportunities in my life. 
that I just didn't seize until like memory blue came. And I was like, this is the opportunity I need to make the best of because I've missed so many other opportunities. Like, it's just crazy to think like, if you don't take full advantage of opportunities when they're right in front of you, like you're only, you're just going to regret them. Man. So Dickie, well, where are we going with all this? Like you're still, and you're talking, you're freaking out a little bit. You're talking like you don't work there anymore, but you're still employed by memory blue, right? You're still a big baller on the PTM team, but in all seriousness, where do you see yourself going? That's a good thing to ask because I'm just not a hundred percent sure. Like, I feel really comfortable in the PPM function. I know what I'm doing. It's a very good thing. I'm still learning. I'm still making those decisions. Like my main focus is to obviously get in a closing role at some point, but I'm I'm looking to start my real estate portfolio within the next year, really dial in on passive income and things of that nature. So I think just professionally, I just I'm just not 100% sure. And it's okay not to know what you want to do. I'm 29. So if you're 22, 23, and you don't know what you're doing, that's okay. But is Memory Blue going to give you a real taste of everything that you need to know to make an educated decision in the tech industry? Yes. And I've been here two years, and I do have a really good understanding. Like, I do think that I want to get into cybersecurity, and I want to be it. I want to be in a closing role at some point, and I want to, you know, build a true pipeline and close deals and things of that nature. Because do I miss that back in when I did seal? Yeah, a little bit, but it was a lot. It was, it was, it was a lot of headaches. You know, it was a lot of headaches. Well, you certainly have a certain, uh, a bright future ahead of you and we're thrilled to have been a small part of it. Exactly. And I'm thrilled that you guys were too. I I always have a, it's always a great time seeing you guys. It really is. I I think every time we have conversations, I always take a little bit of something out of each conversation. And and that's what a lot of people should think is just really listen to the conversations you have with people like Mark and Chris. Like these guys have done it. They've been truly successful. If you listen to what successful people have to say, you will essentially be successful. Very good. I don't know. That's it. Well, Dickie, we appreciate the wisdom. We appreciate the time and look forward to watching you star in the future. We'll see if I flare out, guys. No, I don't know. <laughs> no chance, man. I'm Dickie. just kidding. Thanks, Dickie. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Bunch of stars. Take it easy, guys. Memory Blue alumni. Are you looking for your next top performing SDR with the competitive drive, hustle mentality, and passion for sales that you can bank on? The Rising Stars program connects accomplished Memory Blue SDRs with alumni looking to expand their teams. Rising Stars have completed their SDR journey with us and are chomping at the bit to land a new and exciting high-tech sales opportunity. They've been professionally trained, coached, and mentored thriving in the very environment where you launched your career. Alumni like you hire Memory Blue Rising Stars because they can rest easy knowing they're hiring the best in the business. Learn how you can access this unique pool of sales talent by heading to memoryblue.com slash alumni. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep.